Yeah. Thank you, Andrew. I, I feel um, on that track record, I must be a regular. Yeah. <laughs> um, as you can tell from my accent, I'm not from around these parts. Um, I'm, I'm a Brit who's escaped um, the frozen north. Um, yeah, long story, it'll keep here a morning if I told you that, but we, we, all of our family, my wife and I uh, live in the UK, but all our family's either in Australia or New Zealand, and we're actually New Zealand permanent residents, so we were able to get back over to New Zealand in December to avoid the worst of the European winter and the other thing, the COVID thing that's been going on up there and all over the world. And it's, um, it's very odd to be in church. Now, I don't know how it's been here and what you've been able to do, but certainly up in the UK, this doesn't happen at the moment. And I just I hope you realise what a blessing you have to be able to do this over here in Australia. Um, it's, it's almost <laughs> it's unreal for me um, to see things like a baby dedication, to sing. Oh, my gosh. We're not allowed to sing. When, when we do have church you have to sit like 10 yards apart and there's like a scattering of people and you're not allowed to sing do you know if you don't sing after a while you forget how to sing your voice box or whatever doesn't work quite so well and I'm trying hard to sing this morning I'm thinking oh I'm out of practice but it was just lovely to be here it's been lovely to be here over the weekend and share with a number of folks in a conference we did yesterday. And just to have the opportunity to be here is like the icing on the cake for me. So thank you for inviting me. Um, I need to just have a quick heads up from you. When, well, how long have I got? Like seven hours? Yeah. <laughs> when, when, by 11. So if, if something fills up, I should have stopped. Okay. okay. Um, yeah, it, it's, that's always good to know. Um, and... I love the new facility. Last time I was here, it was, do you call it the old building? Yeah. Yeah. So this is great. I, one time in the UK, I was pastor of a church, um, and we did something like this, and I know the blood, sweat, and tears it takes to turn a shell into a, a church family home. So you've done a great job here. Um, so anyway, I, I'm going to share a few things in a moment. Um, out that way, I've got a few books that I've been writing. I've had a couple of books emerge during COVID, and one was actually launched yesterday, so it's hot off the press, um, related to the ministry that I'm involved with. And, and one of the great things that I, I've discovered over the years is that I actually like writing. I didn't like writing in school when I was a kid, and I had a kind of form of dyslexia, so I couldn't really read properly until I was about 11. So to be able to write now is a real joy. And uh, so they're around there, and they're vastly expensive, but we'll do a special deal. <laughs> anyway, the thing that um, I had in my heart to share today is something that's um, just been bubbling up in a while. But when you're not preaching regularly every Sunday like your pastors and leaders are here, and you go in as a visitor to a church, you kind of wonder... You think, well, I wonder what Father wants me to say. I, you know, I, I try not to know too much as what are going on and things like that. I just want to have an open heart. But what's been buzzing inside of me in these last few weeks is um, it's all to do with an individual, a character in the Bible, which um, 
I haven't given a huge amount of attention to over the years, but increasingly I'm seeing some things. And it's someone who mentions himself in the Bible, and he's one of the writers of the New Testament. And he only ever describes himself as the disciple Jesus loved. Now, that's, we're talking about the author of John's Gospel. So we're not talking about John the Baptist, we're talking the John, the disciple, that wrote the Gospel. But I've always thought it quite funny to describe yourself as the disciple Jesus loved. Now, of course, there were 12 disciples. And when John wrote his Gospel, I wonder what the others thought. You know, when they saw that, hang on a minute, who does he think he is? Jesus told me he loved me. And, but the one Jesus loved, it's something about John that has an intimate connection with Jesus that he felt he just so wanted to express it like that. So I want us to think a little bit about John and just plot one or two things that, that developed in his life um, during the time that he knew Jesus and beyond. And I'm going to need to take my watch off, otherwise I won't know what the time is. Um, you need a clock on the wall for your visiting speakers. <laughs> um, I went to a church once where they had a clock on the wall like that, and I knew how to finish by a certain time, and it started to give you a countdown. It was like, oh, okay. <laughs> the last minute it went to seconds, you know. It was one of those churches where everything was choreographed, and you had to, do, you know, I'm sure you're not like that. So here we have this disciple who Jesus loved. Now, what do we know about him? He, he's obviously one of the disciples of Jesus, but when you dig around a little bit in the stories, you discover he's got a family. Of, um, often he's linked with his brother, James, you know, James and John, two, two disciples who are followers of Jesus. But we also know about the wider family that he comes from and a little bit about their life. And that's always good when you're looking at people in the Bible because otherwise they can be a bit like cardboard cutouts, not very real. Because the reality is, these people are real, just like us, think like we do, have questions in their minds like we do, don't always get it right. And John's like that. So he and his brother James, their parents are mentioned in the Gospels. And dad's name is Zebedee. Okay? And mother's name is Salome. So they're the parents. Zebedee's a fisherman, and we know that the boys are in business with their dad. And so James and John, sons of Zebedee and Salome. Now, we know a little bit more about Salome. If you are, like doing a bit of detective work, I'm not going to do it all this morning, but believe me, she's the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary and Salome are sisters. So what does that make Jesus and John? Cousins. You know, I, when I first saw that, I thought, no, that can't be right. And then I looked it up in all the commentaries and that, all the scholars had seen it long ago. But suddenly it became a little different because I thought, John and James were cousins of Jesus. They're family. That they were connected more than just being followers of Jesus. They had known him. We don't know what the age difference was between Jesus and John, but what we do know is that Jesus is about 30 years old when he begins his ministry, which would have been around about the year 26. 
And John, we're told, lived to a very ripe old age, well into his 90s, probably dying towards the end of the first century. So maybe he was younger than Jesus. Maybe he was a young guy. But James and John, the cousins of Jesus, would have grown up with him. Maybe they lived in a similar sort of area, same sort of village. You do that with extended families, don't you? You all know each other. The parties, the weddings, you're all there. And John would have grown up knowing about Jesus. The the family talk about Jesus' birth would have been going around for quite some time. See, Mary and Joseph were the only ones who really knew how, why Jesus came in the way that he did and, and that Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit, but I would be very surprised if that talk went around the family. Because, you know, families, yeah, right. They probably thought Mary got pregnant before she got married. In fact, the Pharisees used to say that about Jesus. When he was arguing or talking with them one occasion about fatherhood, they said to him, well, at least we're not illegitimate children, implying that people thought Jesus was. So we don't know quite what the family of John thought about Jesus, but they grew up together. They probably played together. Maybe they went fishing occasionally. Jesus seemed to know where they were down at the Lake of Galilee and so on. So he grew up knowing about Jesus. You know, many of us can identify with that. Um, I don't know how long you've been a Christian, whatever. I was virtually born in church. I mean, literally. My mum went into labour on Sunday night in the evening meeting. And they just oiked me, her out, got her into the hospital, and I was born about two in the morning on Monday morning. I think she was a bit disappointed. She, I think she would like to have had me born on Sunday. But hey, I was Monday's child. What's that saying? Monday's child? I, it's a saying, isn't it? I can't remember. It's got to be a nice one. Loving and giving? <laughs> Far to go? Anyway, it doesn't matter. I was nearly born in church. You, I grew up all of my life knowing about Jesus. You know, I used to enter the scripture exams at school and things like that and, and win and all the rest of it. I knew about him. But just in the same way as John, when he got older, started looking at Jesus, he began to notice that things weren't quite what he thought they were. See, for John, there came a day when another relative in the family, John the Baptist, who was a relative, was preaching down the River Jordan, and people started going down there to see him. John was probably one of the ones who went down there, because in his gospel, which he wrote many, many years later, long after the events, he remembered the things that John the Baptist said, the things that John the Baptist said about Jesus. John the Baptist told the people around him that he wasn't the Messiah, but the Messiah was coming, and when he came, he would baptize them with the Holy Spirit and with fire, and they had no idea what that meant. John was baptizing them in the water so that as a sign that their sins were forgiven. And they said, are you the Messiah then? No, 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 it's not me. When he comes... John the Baptist said he will be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now that's, that's revelation. To know that is, is not head knowledge. It's stuff that God's revealed to his heart. 
And John was probably one of the disciples of John the Baptist to start with. Certainly Andrew, Peter's brother was, but you, they're there, they're listening. And one day John the Baptist saw Jesus coming along the riverbank and points to his disciples, his followers, including young John, says, look, that's the Lamb of God. It's him who's going to take away the sins of the world. So John hearing that would have thought, yeah, but that's my cousin Jesus. What's he talking about? When, you, when the disciples started to follow Jesus, they didn't know that he was the Messiah. They didn't know he was the Son of God. They just joined because there's this man who was something about him that drew them to him, who they loved to listen to his stories and his teaching, and they thought, it, I, we just want to be with this guy. And then, of course, Jesus started doing miracles. And the first miracles all these new recruits witnessed was turning water into wine and marriage in Cana. Now, wouldn't that have been fun? They probably thought, oh, this is going to be good. And, and John was one of those. But when John the Baptist baptized him in the River Jordan, something happened that changed everything. You know, Jesus came into the water and went up to John and said, will you baptize me? And John's saying, no, you don't need to be baptized. Because he's already said there is no sin in him. This baptism was about having his sins forgiven. And Jesus says, no, 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 let it be so for the present. I want to do this to prove all righteousness, to show something about righteousness. Which is not about doing right and wrong, but righteousness, when Jesus uses it, is talking about the relational rightness in the very heart of God. So I'm wanting to show you something about the nature of God, because all of them listening have begun a journey of revelation, discovering something about Jesus, who he really is, including John, his cousin. So Jesus is baptized in the water, and you remember what happened. The Holy Spirit fell upon him, and God the Father broke the silence of eternity pointed, as it were, at his son and said, this is my son, whom I love. I'm proud of him. One of the gospel writers actually makes it more personal. One of the others says, you are my son, and I love you, and I'm proud of you. You know, John grew up in a family. Jesus grew up in a family. Jesus had known since he was about 12 that God was his father. He'd spoken and said as much in the temple. Here we are 18 years later, he's in the water, and it's as if God the Father says, everything that you've believed is true, son. You are my son, and I love you, and I'm proud of you. Now all the gospel writers record these events. John, who started following Jesus as one of the inner group, many, many years later wrote what we call John's Gospel. Okay, now, others had written them before, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and they had probably written them maybe 20 or 30 years before John wrote. So John is writing, looking back on a lifetime of memories of having discovered who Jesus was, experiencing him, and discovering that he was not just a cousin who we like to play with as a kid, but he really was the eternal Son of God. 
and God was his father. Now, when he's writing this, he's looking back probably on 60 more years. The scary thought I have of getting older is I can now look back on a similar time frame, you know, and see things that happened long ago. You kind of look back on the past and, and it, oftentimes you have an opportunity to reflect on it. You're involved in the events, but now you look back and thought, well, I wonder why that happened. What was going on in our family at the time? And John, in many ways, when he comes to write this gospel, is reflecting on what he remembers and what he's seen. And I'm sure if you read through John's gospel, you'll see how he records events. And then every so often, you realize it's John who is now actually talking. A classic is when Jesus was talking with Nicodemus late in the night in John chapter 3. And it, you read through the text, but then it suddenly changes. And it's John talking. And it's John who says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, John is reflecting on the events that took place and he's seeing what's really going on. He sees it with the eyes of his heart. He's seen things through his natural eyes and his ability to see things, and he's reflected on them, but he's seeing it at a deeper level because John is on a journey. Now, very much towards the end of his life, he also wrote three letters. And I just want to read a few verses, this is the main part I want to talk about, of the first letter that John wrote because he is, he, again, he's still reflecting, but he's writing to people who need to see that Jesus wasn't just an amazing speaker or a great teacher. He was way more significant. He wasn't the rabbi who came and spoke out of Galilee who ended up getting crucified, but he is the eternal son of God, raised from the dead, who came to reveal the very nature of God to us as a father and say this invitation to know God as a father is for all of us. And John's seen that. So he's now writing to churches and says, this, this is what it's all about. So you need to think of him perhaps being an old man by now. And writing this letter, he begins like this. That which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked on and our hands have touched, this we proclaim to you, the word of life. Now that is first-hand eyewitness statements, isn't it? He's saying, the person I'm talking about, we heard him. I saw him. Our hands touched him. We knew him. We experienced him. We sat with him. We talked together. We ate meals together. It's all implicit in that. He said, this is the word of life. See, a transition has happened for John from just knowing about something having a personal encounter with him. Now, oftentimes, we, we can experience similar things in our Christian journeys. We, we can come along to things over many years and say, like for me, all my life I've been in and out of church, as it were. But the day comes when this becomes a reality far deeper because you encounter the reality of the living God who is in Christ, who is revealing the nature of the full Godhead to us as Father, as Son, and Holy Spirit. And that is not something you get in your head. It's something 
that happens in your heart. And John's saying, we saw these things, we heard of things, and it's, we've discovered the real truth. This is the word of life. And he's very excited about that. The life appeared. We've seen it. And we testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life that was, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. You know, Jesus talked about eternal life. And in John's Gospel, there are many places where Jesus explains it further. In, in that classic John 3.16, it's one I, I grew up on as a youngster in church, had to learn it. We kind of jumped, missed the first bit that Father loved all of creation, that he sent his son. And we went straight to the Jesus bit because that was seemed to be more important. Oh, it's up there. That's clever. Anyway, we'd go to the bit that he gave his only son. We'd missed the point, well, I had, that God loved the world. You know, this is not just Christians, the world, everybody. He loved the world so much he sent his son. And then we went to this, whoever believes in him should not perish but have, ever, have eternal life. And I grew up thinking what that means is that I hung, if I hang in till the end and when I die, I get to go to heaven. I thought that's what eternal life was about. But John, when he's writing here in his letter and then in his gospel, he says this is what eternal life is. We're, we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. The Son of God, Jesus, comes into our world and says, this is what eternal life is, to know you, Father. He said that in the last night. He was with the disciples in the upper room in John 17. He said, I've finished the work, Father, you've given me to do, and my work has been to reveal you, Father, and that eternal life is to know you, Father. That was, a light went on in my head when I saw that. You know, we can sometimes think that the Christian life is about getting saved and hanging on in there till, till Jesus comes back or we die. But eternal life begins. Remember, we give our hearts to Jesus. The life of God is poured into our hearts. The Father becomes real to us. The Spirit infuses everything we think about. That's the moment when eternal life begins. So we're all living eternal life now. We don't have to wait till the ceremony and the box. Eternal life is to know Father. And John got that. John, through years of reflection, saw that this was what life was like for him. It was walking in the life that God had given him. And he'd seen these things. And then he says, and we proclaim to you that we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. Because John had seen who Jesus was, realized he was more than just his cousin, and that as a, he was in fact the eternal Son of God, and the eternity that Jesus talked about was bringing us in relationship with the Father, he said, that's what we want to share with you. That's the joy we have. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. See, that's the big transition that happened for John, the beloved disciple. He moved from a relative. He even moved from being a friend. 
He moved to coming into a place where he was a son to God as father in relationship with Jesus. Jesus was more like a brother to him. On the resurrection morning, when Jesus was raised from the dead, he said to Mary Magdalene, go tell my brothers that I am ascending to my father and your father, my God and your God. On resurrection morning, Jesus said, all of this eternal life is beginning for you. It's what I've come to explain. Now we're all in it together. You've seen it. He's my father, but guys, he's your father too. You get to live in the reality that I'm living in. And John sees this. It it thrills him. It excites him. So much so, he just says this. We write this to make our joy complete. He is so filled with joy of what he's seen and heard and discovered and is living in and in the life of God that he's sharing in, in Jesus, in Christ, in the Father, in the Spirit. It absolutely makes his joy complete. You know, I was, I was writing about this not so long ago and as I sat there and I thought, you know what, John? I get that. I had a funny moment in my writing. John wrote, this really makes my joy complete. I thought, wow, I do get that. This revelation of God as Father, as a Son, Jesus, the power of the Spirit, is the most joyful experience I've ever had in my Christian life. I mean, I've been around the block a long time. 70 next year, can't believe it. That's not the point. But the joy that is in my heart that never used to be there. Well, I had it all in my head, sort of theoretically. You know, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I knew that. But, you know, the more it lands here in our hearts, the more the knowing becomes a, a deep personal encounter, the joy overflows. I, I understand why John wrote that. It gives him such joy. And the rest of his letter, he, he kind of touches on, on the number of these things. He talks about this word of life that's appeared in our world. He says, this is wonderful. He, he gives us such life. He, his life. This life has appeared amongst us. It's given us eternal life. It fills us with joy. But then he goes on. The letter continues. Now, he's right. most of the people who wrote letters in the New Testament... They, they're writing to deal with an issue. Stuff had happened somewhere in a church, so they wrote to try and help people sort it out. And this particular letter, the people who were receiving it had got in a bit of a muddle. There, there was sin going on in the church, and people saying, well, what do you do about people who sin? What if you sin after you become a Christian? Is there hope for you? So they're addressing these things, but at the same time, John is continually pulling, pulling it back. Say so the issues that are at stake all get resolved when we're in Christ. He uses a a a word, a little phrase, that Paul invented or coined in his letters. In John 1-2, he says this, If anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. See, he's saying, this is how we know we're in him. This is how we know that this is true. It's not just what we've seen and experienced. We're actually, we're in it. It's part of us. This is how we know it's true. It lives in us and we walk in the same way as Jesus walked. 
We do the things that Jesus did. Now, I don't know whether you remember this, but a few years ago there was this little phase where people had a rubber thing around their wrist that said WWJD, that stood for What Would Jesus Do? Interesting things, because we haven't got a clue what Jesus would do. You know, Jesus never drove a car, never got cut up on the motorway, so we, he wouldn't know how to respond when someone does that to you. What was it about? Well, it was an attempt to try and think, if we do enough things like Jesus, it will be good for us. But Paul, um, John says here, no, actually, being in him is, means we walk as Jesus walked. We, we live life in the same way as he did, and then we'll know what he did. So how did Jesus walk, says John? We, he walked in daily relationship with his father, only doing the things he heard his father say or do. I was very shocked when I read that in John's Gospel. He says it so many times. I'm only doing the things the Father's told me to do. I'll only say the things the Father's telling me. Well, haven't you got any of your own words? Well, yes, of course he did. But he was so connected in his heart with his heavenly Father, he said, I only want to share what you're sharing. And when the Father spoke and they came through Jesus' mouth, it's the same words. He's able to pour this out. And here, John says, that's what walking as Jesus walked is like. Jesus said to the disciples before he went back to heaven, he said, now I want you to do the things I'm doing. I want you to love each other in the same way as I've loved you. I want you to share that love. This is the big command I give you. This is the one thing I'm asking you to do, love one another. Because that's what I've learned to do. So if all else fails, love one another. Walk as I'm walking. Listen to Father for yourself. There's a little story that involved John in the early days of the church. Jesus has returned to heaven, and the disciples are all there in Jerusalem. Lots of people are getting saved. And Peter and John are walking into the temple one day. And um, there was a man at the gate of the temple who had sat there for years begging, and he was crippled. Well, Jesus had gone in and out many times through that gate of the temple. The guy had been there, so Jesus would have seen him. And Jesus would have walked past and didn't heal him. Now, I imagine Jesus in his heart was saying, Father, can, can, I, heal, can I heal him? He's been here so long. And Father saying, no, no, don't worry, not yet. I've got others lined up to him. Because in Acts 3, Peter and John are walking into the temple, walking past this guy who Jesus had walked with many times, and they spot him. He's got his begging bowl out. You know, anybody got any money? And Peter and John are thinking, have you got any money? No, I haven't got anything. Peter, you must have something. No, I haven't. Let's go around this way. <laughs> to avoid it. And it's like a nudge in the heart. As father says, hey boys, stop and think for a minute. What have you got? What we got? Oh. So the man gets closer. Have you got any money? And Peter and John stand there and say, Nah. Sorry, we have not money. But what we do have, we give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And they help the man up, and he's miraculously healed, and he goes off cartwheeling into the temple. See, they're learning to walk as Jesus walked. 
They're learning to hear the Father speak to them. To show them what to do next. And in his writing of these glorious passages in his first letter, this is where he's coming from. A life of having lived, reflected, been thrilled at what he's seen in Jesus and now working it out in his day-to-day life because God's done something in him and saying to the people that follow him, this is what it's all about. This is how we live. This is what being a son and a daughter to God is all about. It's walking like Jesus walked, in relationship with Jesus, in the relationship with a father who's internally loving us, filled with his presence. Now he gets to the point in this letter where he's so excited that he almost explodes. He, he says, he's describing how this works, then he suddenly says this. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. How great is the love Father has lavished on us. I love that word lavished. It sounds so over the top, doesn't it? In my book, lavished is the biggest pile of pizza you've ever seen. You know, my default setting when I want a bit of comfort, pizza. Lavished is just, it's an abundance. And out of this life of many, many years, of decades, John, the beloved disciple, looking back, remembering Jesus, his cousin, how he came into the world, discovering who he really was, being asked by his cousin Jesus to look after his Auntie Mary at the cross, taking her with him, walking as Jesus walked, helping Peter on his journey, ending up writing these letters to Christians around the world. He says, this is the life. This is our life. The love of God has been absolutely lavished on us. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we too get included in this life of God. He's quite an old man when he's writing these things. Church history tells us that in his latter days he lived in Ephesus. Mary apparently was also up there, so she kind of went with him. And in the very last period of his life, he's, he's recorded outside of the Bible by some of the early church fathers. And they reflect back on the things that John had seen. In, in his letter, I mean, I'm not going to read the whole letter, but maybe I'll encourage you to at some point. There's some lovely things that he says. He, it's John who comes up with that beautiful description of God, who says, well, you know what? God is love. I think the older you get, I'm discovering, you try to be a bit more succinct to to make things less complicated. And John's doing that, saying, well, how do you live this life? What's God like? Well, guys, he's just love. All he is, is he's loving us. He loves us. And he writes this towards the end of this this letter, John chapter 1, verse 4. I don't think I've got time to read it. i just read a little bit. Dear friends, he says, let's love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love doesn't know God because God is love. So on this journey, 
All the difficult complications of the years have gone, and he's getting older, and he's saying to people at the end of the day, guys, it's all about love. God our Father loves us. We walk doing the things that he does, just like Jesus did. We live out our life in love. It's the one commandment. He says it's an old commandment. Well, when he writes this, it is old. When Jesus first gave it 60 years earlier, it was a new commandment in the upper room. And he said to the disciples, love one another. Jesus said, and John remembered this, as the fathers loved me, so I've loved you. Now stay in my love. See, John, the beloved, the one Jesus loved, was so impacted with this love that God the Father poured into him through his cousin Jesus in his life, that in his old age, all he could say is, the love of God, God is love. And the one story about him outside the New Testament, written perhaps 50 years after he died, they said of John, when he was a very old man, he was carried around on one of these pallets, you know, portable bed, and was brought into the church meetings every Sunday, and all he would say was, little children, love one another. Near the end of a life, many decades long, of walking with Jesus, it all came down to that one thing. Let's love one another. It's John who says, love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers. Perfect love casts out all fear. The love of God in Christ through people teaches us how to love. See, what I like about John, it's not theory. It's not a cardboard cutout we can't relate to. He's a real man. Lived many, many years and grew on this journey. It's a journey we're all on. Then how you express it, and we all express it differently. But it all comes back to love. How we live in God, in the love of God, with God as our Father, Jesus our Saviour and Brother, filled with the Holy Spirit, is totally characterised by love that comes from God. How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us that we should be the children of God. Little children... Therefore, love one another. Amen. Now, I've asked the musicians to come and lead us in a final song that just popped into my head when I was thinking about these things. And I wasn't sure you'd even know it, but I'm reliably informed you do. So, I don't know how you want to respond to this. It's called, Here is Love, Vast as the Ocean. If you've never sung it before, just watch, read the words, listen to the music, but more to the point, just open your heart up to allow that love that's as vast as the ocean to saturate you, to fill you, to be poured into your heart this morning as a little child. Thank you, chaps. <laughs>